This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. Hope you're all recovering from the Boston Marathon weekend. If you were there, congratulations for everybody who completed the race or started the race. I had a lot of fun over the weekend with Destination Marathons doing a live show. And actually, if you are a supporter of my personal Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine, you can grab access to that live show I did with Steph Bruce, Molly Huddle, and Wesley Courier, who is the 2012 Boston Marathon champion. Wesley, I met at the Chicago Marathon Expo uh, last fall, and he is hilarious and also does incredible work with the Kenyan Kids Foundation that he founded with his wife, helping provide education and care for kids in his home country of Kenya. So anyway, the three of them on stage together were a really good time. And uh, that's live now at patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. Uh, all right. My guest today is Christine Yu, who is an award-winning journalist. She writes about sports, science, and health. And she has a new book coming out called Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. This book is a long time coming. It's about time someone wrote this book, and I'm so glad Christine did. And I loved getting to know her over this conversation. Uh, She is a really well-known journalist. She's been featured in the Washington Post, Outside Magazine, Runner's World, Family Circle, Self, Eating Well, ESPNW, Vice. I mean, the list goes on. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and two sons. And we talk about this a lot too. We talk about kids and athletics. And then we dive into what's not been researched enough or talked about enough in women and athletics. So I highly recommend you go pre-order her book and give her some support. And I hope you find something meaningful and interesting in this conversation like I did. If you do enjoy the show, you can leave a rating interview. That is a huge way potential new listeners can find us. And I also want to say, I know Patreon this, Patreon that, because I'm also part of Relay, which is a group of running related content creators over there. And I just wanted to say that I'm really excited to welcome Tommy runs to that team. He is going to be a fabulous addition and I'm so excited to work with him. So that is a fun group growing on. And we also just had a book club that was open to the public with Kara Goucher. That was so awesome just a couple days ago. And that you can actually listen to and kind of see what our book club is all about. That is open to the public. So if you go to that Patreon page, patreon.com slash relay, um, that is a public episode that everybody can view. And we do that book club once a month over there. It's super fun. Kara and I host it. Um, Oh, and of course, we're going to have Christine on, I'm sure, for that book club. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Christine Yu. All right. So excited to have Christine Yu on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. We got to meet in Boston. I know. It was so nice to meet. Finally, finally meet in person. I'm so glad that worked out. I got to pop over and see the wonderful athlete panel that you were on. What was that like to be a part of that discussion? 
Um, it was nerve wracking <laughs> to be honest. Like at first, just because Lauren and Kara and Allison are such rock stars, right? And I'm like, hi, I'm a journalist. <laughs> like, you're an amazing journalist. Um, but no, it was great. It was super fun because. It's such an, a great time, right? There are all these books coming out about women athletes, women's sports, um, and to be able to be on stage with these three other authors. Um, and, you know, our books are different, right? You know, it's like Lauren and Kara are memoirs. Allison is a memoir too, but, she, you know, she talks about a lot of other systemic issues as well. Um, but it was fun being there because it really felt like our books were in conversation with each other, right? Um, in a lot of the issues that we tackle, we're coming at it from different angles and different perspectives, but we're all there because we care about sport, right? We care about girls and women, um, and want to make this thing that we love better. It's proving too. And as you mentioned, yeah, your book is a lot different than their books, but it's proving too. And I would say just like with podcasting and all these other platforms and ways we communicate that there's room at the table for anybody who wants to be at the table. Absolutely. Yeah. Your blazer (laughs) that you were wearing was so amazing. And we were all like, was that to match the book or did it just happen to be a coincidence? It happened to be a coincidence. Um, I do not wear bright pink and bright colors at all. But again, I felt like it was this almost like a confidence boost for me, like to be up again, to be up on the stage and, you know, to feel confident in, in taking up that space. I felt like it was something that was fun and that I needed. Um, I know I brought it home. I showed my kids and they're like, you're a little too matchy matchy mommy with your book. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like I totally didn't even notice. In case anybody's watching on video, I'm holding up the book and her blazer was this color and it was, where was it from? Do you mind me asking? No, I, I just picked <laughs> I it up it. at, no, I picked it up at this random, you know, independent like clothing store in Brooklyn here. Okay, uh, okay. I literally was walking by on my way somewhere else. I saw it in the window and I like doubled back around and went in, tried it on and I was like, I'm buying this. And you knew it was going to be for the event. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about being up in front of a, a group of people in something that you feel really confident or like lively in that just kind of like gives you confidence when you might be a little bit intimidated. Absolutely. Living in Brooklyn. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Have you lived in New York City for like your entire adult life? Where were you born? I was born in Connecticut. And then my family moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area when right before eighth grade. Okay. Um, and then I actually only lived out there for two years because I came back east and went to boarding school in Massachusetts. Um, I mean, I think ping-ponging back and forth, then went to Stanford for my freshman year of college, and then I transferred to Columbia and finished college here, totally expecting that I was going to head straight back to California after I graduated. But I fell in love with New York City, like, oddly, <laughs> like, because I love being outside. I love being, you know, in the mountains and on the beach. Um, so yeah, that was very unexpected. Um, and have been living here, I realized for almost 30 years, minus, wow. two, minus two years up in Boston for graduate school, but it's kind of bananas. 
That is so bananas. Um, can we just like dial into the boarding school thing really quick? I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, I went to boarding school just outside Boston um, called Phillips Academy. Um, growing up in Connecticut, I knew a lot of kids who went to boarding school, uh, but it wasn't until my one of my older cousins went there. He lived in Hong Kong and he came here for, for high school. And then my brother and sister went up there and did a summer program. And I must have been in like fifth grade or something. And I walked around this campus and I was like, I am coming here to go to school. Like I just fell in love with it. And it didn't even really register in my mind that I was moving 3000 miles away from my home to to go to high school at like 14, 15 or however old I was. Um, But I loved it. I mean, I just had a really fantastic experience there. Wait, but as a mom, is your oldest 16? My oldest is 16. I cannot imagine. That's what I was going to say. Can you imagine? No. I mean, he's like, I mean, he's he's lovely. He can do a lot of things by himself, but I cannot imagine him living on his own. I was always, I'm the youngest of three. My brother and sister are seven and five years older than me. I always wanted to be like them. You know, I always thought I was older than my age. So the youngest is always kind of like, Along for the ride, very independent, it seems. We were just talking about this yesterday because all of my bigger boys were like ripping each other's heads off, it seemed. And our youngest was just like tinkering around with like tools in the kitchen and kind of like just like fending for himself and not paying attention to anybody else. And I was like, man, there's something about that last kid that there's this like easygoing nature, at least in our family. Like, yeah, he's had to kind of like mold to wherever we go and what we do. Well, absolutely, right? Because the older kids are always kind of taking up a lot of the airspace and, you know, the parents' attention. At least for me, I felt like by the time it came around, like my brother and sister were, you know, off to college or whatnot, my mom was like, she's like, I'm done. Like, just do, <laughs> just do whatever you want. I like, I don't care. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and you turned out great. And your turned mom Turned out fine. You. Yes. She loves me very much. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about raising a family in Brooklyn before we dive yeah. into like female sports and the book a little bit more. I'm always so fascinated by people that make it work in big city living, raising families. Yeah, it again, it's not I never imagined, you know, raising a family in a city. Um, but living in Brooklyn where we do it, it's, it's a much smaller community, right? Like, we know the people who own the restaurants and the stores, you know, around and we see, you know, folks on the street all the time that we, you know, we know, um, the, it's the cutest, like when they're in elementary school, you know, it's like, there's literally this parade of parents and kids walking up to school together, Mm. right? Every morning. And it, it doesn't feel like a big city. Um, and I don't know, for, for us, you know, my husband, um, is a, you know, an immigrant from Poland. And so for us, like, I think it's also important to be able to raise them in a diverse environment too, um, which has been really great. And they've learned, you know, they're very independent in a lot of ways. Like I have no idea where my older son is like most of the time until he comes (laughs) home. I'm like, I don't know. Um, You know, he navigates the city by himself, getting to like practices and games and all of that. And, you know, on the subway with he plays baseball with his like giant baseball backpack and his regular school backpack on his, you know, on his back. Um, But yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun, I think. And, you know, we have a car too, which lets us get out of the city um, to be able to go hiking and do other stuff, you know, when we want. Um, 
yeah, it's been it's been better than I think I I imagined when I was younger. I love that so much. I love that you have like a community within this like larger place because I know you know I know the, all the different boroughs and stuff yeah. like that. You're, you're like it's New York City, but you're in your own little space, but also your own little because I know Brooklyn is huge. Yeah, so your own little space in Brooklyn as well. Absolutely, yeah, and it's you know it's I can't quite imagine living anywhere else. Um, it, yeah, it's hard to hard to find. I think another spot that has all the things that Brooklyn has that we like. Um, I love the idea of also kids like on navigating the subway system. I like kind of peg myself as this like free rangey kind of parent, and I'm like, at what age do you let them start taking the subway? And and I will say, I have all boys, and I do think I would probably be more careful if I had girls. I don't yeah. know because I don't have girls, but I'm assuming I would be. Yeah, it's um, so what really blew my mind was in elementary school, um, starting in fourth grade, the kids could go out to lunch in the neighborhood. So there was like, uh, maybe like two or three block radius um, where they could go. And wow. yeah, they were just out, you know, at the pizza shop and, you know, there's a Chipotle or whatever, just like, but it was good for them in the sense that, you know, they had to learn how to like, deal with their money and like order food and um, it gave them that sense of freedom, right? Like just being able to be out on their own. And I was like, wait, what is it? <laughs> like, hold That's on. Right. I was amazing. like, they're so little. But is that yeah. still happening today? Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. So it's like I avoid certain part stretches of the neighborhood during certain periods of time so when it's like lunchtime. <laughs> well, that and when it's lunchtime because it's just like a swarm of kids. Like I can't go to the bagel shop on our corner, you know, because there's a middle school by where we live. And same thing, they, they can go out to lunch. Um, but it's just like packed and swarmed with kids. All right. If I ever move to New York City, I'm coming to Brooklyn. <laughs> yes. It's the best borough. So let's get into your background with sports and I know you worked for a nonprofit for a while before you kind of dove into the research side of things and started writing articles and all these books, but what got you interested in running in sports and women in sports? Yeah, so I grew up playing sports. Um, it was just part of school. You know, it's like we have, I think, I, I'm assuming like we had to because <laughs> I'm not sure I, you know, necessarily would have picked it on my own, but it's always just been a part of my life. Um, and I've always loved that feeling, right, of like moving your body, being part of a team, working together and all of that. Um, I never, <laughs> it's funny, I started running, you know, running um, outside of like playing soccer and all of those things um, my senior year in high school, because you could, for your PE requirement, you could do community service. But if you did that, you also had to do this 30 minutes of what they called basics, which essentially like you could walk around the track or you could go run. So I, you know, me and a couple of friends would started running, but that was really when, um, yeah, I just like discovered, I think a new part of me that I didn't know existed, right? Like just that ability to, I, you know, I, wasn't a runner like I would watch the like, cross country and track kids and I'm like that's not me like I could never do that but just you know slowly realizing that my body could do these things and train to run like you know more mileage and just that feeling right of like just you out on a road um in your own time was just I don't know something I didn't realize I really needed um and really enjoyed um yeah and as you know just growing up we've always been you know, sports fans, if you will, right? It's like watch the Yankees growing up mm -hmm. and, you know, football and all of these things. But um, 
I, again, it was one of these things where I never really thought about or realized like I could make a career out of it or, you know, or like could do something with it outside of just watching during my leisure time. Right. Um, and that was fascinating once I figured that out. I was like, oh my gosh, like I could actually do something that combines, you know, my love of science, my love of like understanding the human body with my love of sports. And in particular, right, obviously, you know, women's sports and really just trying to understand how we can help women perform better um, and really elevate women's sports too, right? Like in the sense and give it the support that it needs. Yeah, it was wild reading your book. Christine's book is called Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. It was wild reading your book and mention you mentioning some of these people who were actually studying women in athletics in like, what, the 1890s, 1920s? Yeah. I mean, there were people that were dedicated a long time ago, but if there's only one or two people and you don't have the cohorts or like the women to actually volunteer to participate in these studies like they can only go so far yeah and if you don't have right the institutional support too to you know support the work that you're doing or even just take it seriously right like I think a lot of the women in like the 1800s um they were doing phenomenal studies but we don't hear a lot about it right because um it's not built into the traditional narrative of sports science history and kind of what sports science means, right? Um, I talked to uh, one woman who essentially said, like, there were all these, you know, we talk a lot about the fathers, the forefathers of sports science, but there were actually a lot of, you know, you know, quote unquote, mothers of sports science, too, who've done all this work in like, biomechanics and other areas. Um, But we just don't know about them, because, a lot of their meetings weren't like official meetings where minutes were taken and notes were taking or papers came out of. They, you know, met, more, I guess, more informally, if you you could say, but like, there's no rec- necessarily record of, of what they talked about, or, you know, their, their work wasn't put out there in papers and studies and the like. Um, so there's, there's no track record of it, right? You know, it's wild to think about the, I mean, I always go back to that the first women's marathon was 1984. I mean, that's a year after I was born. That is just mind boggling that it like we hadn't even got up to that speed yet when I was on this planet. Yeah. It's wild, right? And like the sports bra wasn't invented until 1977. Oh my God. But, like, that's less than 50 years ago. What were people wearing? What were they doing? Because people were doing sports. Yeah. So, I mean, they would either wear, um, like, a regular bra, like, two regular bras on top of each other, wear a smaller size bra to try to help, you know, control some of the movement. I know, like, kind of wrapping their breasts, too, you know, folks have done that. Um, Back in... Again, like in the 1800s, there were, you know, sport corsets, <laughs> which are such a, you know, a little bit more flexible or whatever, but it's still a corset, right? Like it's still like restricting your movement. It's still like, I don't know, it's it's not exactly what you would think of um, that would be most supportive and comfortable when you are trying to be active. Hey friends, a quick break here. Do y'all know how much I love Prevenex? If you are in the market for vitamins or supplements, Look no further than Prevenex. They are clinically effective supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health. And here's the thing. It's like 
If you're gonna put something in your body every single day, you should make sure it's from a reputable company. And I believe so fully in the research done on the products and that they deliver high quality ingredients. So I take their multivitamin every day. I also take their Joint Health Plus every day. I actually just got a new review popped up. The founder, David, sent it over to me because he gets notified when people who use my code uh, leave reviews. And it's always so fun to see that these products are really helping people. Here's a review from a listener of the show. Prevenex is the first protein shake that tastes great and I've been able to incorporate it into my routine. Okay, that's the Nerve Plus that my family uses every day. It's got a great blend of carbs, protein, and fats. And it is such an easy way to grab a quick mini meal after a workout if you're running on to the next thing. So friends, check out their Joint Health Plus, their multivitamins, their Nerve Plus, whatever... Whatever you need, they probably have it. They have probiotics, and they also have super bites for kids as well. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that'll save you 15% off your first order. That's Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, back to the show. You know, I never really thought about like women's specific strength training, running, hormones, all of this until after I had kids. Yeah. And I just like realized how much I was affected by my hormones week after week. (laughs) I'm like, why am I a monster two weeks out of the month? Why do I feel bloated? You know, this whole like you used to think. I don't know. I, when I was younger, I would think like, okay, I'm going to feel a little bloated like a couple days before my period. But the older I got, the more I was like, I can't believe how much this affects my mood, how fast I can run, how good I feel. And so, you know, you mentioned Dr. Stacy Sims in your book, and she's done a ton of research on this. But I feel like we don't start really paying attention to this until we're much older, yeah. Maybe it's because we're more durable when we're younger. I don't know. But high school coaches need to be talking about this with their female athletes. 100%. And I had a very similar experience as you, is that it really wasn't until, you know, after having kids and probably late 30s, you know, turning 40, that I really thought about my hormones in that way or thought about my menstrual cycle. Because it would always be just like, okay, when am I going to expect my next period, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, how long is that going to last? And then that was it, but not really realizing or recognizing that our hormones fluctuate in all these different ways, right? And affect us in all these different ways throughout the course of the month. And it's not just, you know, those couple of days in which we're bleeding. Um, and then I started looking at the research and talking to some folks more and recognizing like, oh my gosh, these hormones play such a big role, in, especially in bone health, right? And especially when we are in our adolescence and, and young adulthood years, like that's the critical point. But I never learned this, right? It's like I studied science through, you know, throughout high school and college. And I never learned about these things outside of, you know, just your menstrual cycle controls your, you know, your fertility and your reproductive system, right? Um, and so that was actually like a big impetus for me to like, want to write more about this and want to learn more about it because, you know, this is information, like you said, this is information that like adolescent girls and high school age girls, like they need, right? Because 
what happens during that period of time has long-term impacts Mm -hmm. on our health, right? But, But we don't talk about that. We don't know about that. Coaches don't know that. Parents even, right, don't know the extent of this. Um, and so why isn't that happening, right? Like, why aren't we talking more about these important things with girls, you know, so that they are armed with this knowledge <laughs> before they get to like my age, right? And and when it's almost a moot point, right? Like, I can't do anything about my bone health at this point. Um, but, but they can. Yeah. And I also like, gosh, I think back, I was like this, maybe TMI for the listeners, but I was like a very late bloomer. Like, I think I started my period when I was like 17. I was really old. And, um, but I remember, you know, when you go to the doctor, get your physical and they, and my mom would just be like, oh, it's probably cause she's really active. And like, I didn't have any anorexia or red S or anything that going on. I just was going through puberty later, but if I had had those things, it would have been totally disregarded. It would have been totally just brushed under the rug because, oh, you're just like smaller. So you're probably running a lot or whatever it is. But um, how many people does that happen to? And I hope these conversations will stop parents in their tracks and be like, wait a minute, let's investigate. Let's make sure this isn't happening so that my 16 year old doesn't start having like bone issues at 25. Yeah. And I mean, it is still prevalent, right? Like it, that is still a, an idea, I think, that persists that, oh, you are really active or you're an athlete. So if you don't get your period, that's fine. But it's not fine, right? Like our menstrual cycle is essentially another vital sign that tells you that your endocrine system is working okay. That tells you that you're feeling your body, you know, enough to support it's daily activities and the exercise that you're doing. Um, and I think about the fact that, you know, a lot of the studies or, you know, we first learned about things like female athlete triad and, and this link between, um, you know, how exercise and nutrition, um, can influence the menstrual cycle and, you know, make it irregular and make it become absent. People were looking at that in the 1980s, right? Mm. And so, gosh, how many years is that now? 20, 40, (laughs) almost 40 years, right? Um, But that message still isn't like universally known, right? Like that connection isn't universally known amongst doctors, amongst parents, amongst coaches, um, which I feel like is a travesty, right? In a way. Um, And we're really doing a disservice for, for younger girls by not getting this information out there. So what do you think, I mean, I'm going to say, what do you think the answer is? But as I'm saying yeah. it, it's like educating. I'm like there are so many programs around this country and the, you know, rinky-dink, podunk high schools, the big high schools. It's like, yeah. gosh. And a lot of these coaches and teachers and doctors and parents are doing the best they can, but like hundred percent, maybe just brushing it under the rug and not thinking about it. So like what's the answer in this like universal communication to make sure we're getting this message to these young women? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, right. Recognize that everyone is doing their absolute best that they can, right? Like parents and coaches and given the information that we have and given the resources that they have. um, I do. Yeah. I mean, education and awareness is a big part of it, but there needs to be then, the funding and the resources mm-hmm. to get that out to people mm-hmm. um, in a way that it's 
you know, it might be as a requirement of coaching, right? Like it might be something that, um, you know, is folded into a lot of these coaching curriculums and whatnot that you learn about. It is also, um, you know, pediatricians and doctors being willing to talk or, you know, A, recognizing that this is an important issue that they should be talking with their patients about and, and being willing to talk about it. It's um, really normalizing talking about the menstrual cycle in general within the sports and athletic world. Because, you know, I think for so long, like we said, like it's it's been such a stigmatized thing um, that there's this association that if you have a menstrual cycle, like if you have, if you're, you know, menstruating, um, obviously, A, you're a woman, right? So you're already like have a, you know, something against you. But then also, you know, the, the again, this idea that you're not training hard enough, you're not doing enough. Mm. But it's, this, the, your, your menstrual cycle really is just part of your physiology, right? It's just like your muscle, your muscles and your bones and, you know, thinking about nutrition. It's just another piece of the puzzle of what is your body and what, you know, what you're using to try to play sports and try to, you know, perform better. So why wouldn't we talk about our cycles, right? Um, it's not something to be embarrassed about, but I think we are embarrassed because, it has been so associated with reproduction and fertility and sex. And, you know, so it, it becomes this like taboo topic. But if we start to treat it as what it is, which is just our physiology, I don't know, maybe that can start to help. <laughs> totally. And I wonder how much of a generational thing this is too. Like, as you were talking, I was picturing my dad like walking out of the room and like being so red thinking about us, me saying, Hey mom, I need a tampon. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is kind of like, I remember when I started my period, I just started taking tampons from my mom's bathroom. Like I was so old <laughs> that like all my friends had had their periods for so long that I was and like, I don't know, my family just didn't talk about that kind of stuff. So I just oh. started stealing the tampons and, I'm assuming she just assumed. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't never like officially told my mom either because yeah, I got my period when I was on like a school trip. Like uh -huh. we were away and like it was like my friends like, yes. you know, kind of like here, this is what you do or whatever it is, but like I'm pretty sure I never had a official conversation with my mom. It's so weird to hear stories of other people who had way different experience. They're like, oh, my mom cried. She like, showed me how to, you know, all these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my experience was so different. Everything, nothing is super emotional with my mom. Everything, yep. you know, everything's just like very cut and dry. You just deal with it and move on. Um, and, but I do think actually in 2023, people probably aren't like being, hiding from it. Like we yeah. might've been in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. One of the fascinating things I read in the book was the um, chapter on concussions mm. and the prevalency of them in women, but not only that, but like the lag time of how much longer it took for women to get better after having a concussion. And one of the alarming things was it could be that they're not being taken as seriously or like being treated as quickly. Yeah, that was also really interesting to me, right? So there's a lot of data out there that show, um, you know, women might have a higher rate of concussion or, um, you know, like you said, they, they take longer to get better. Um, and so on the surface, 
it might seem like, oh, there's something, <laughs> there's something wrong with women, or like there's something about our, you know, our our bodies that might make us more susceptible um, to these types of injuries, right? Um, and make it harder for us to recover. But like you said, you mentioned there's research that shows that when boys and girls, you know, are concussed, and if they actually get treated, so get to see a specialized medical provider within the same time frame, those disparities go away, right? So in terms of like the length of time to recover. So there could be a million things happening, right? So it could be that we assume that boys are more, are more likely to get concussed because they play sports like football or lacrosse or soccer or something like that. Um, and people are looking out for it. Um, whereas they might not be looking out for it in girls. It could be that, um, there might be trainers or medical professionals on the sidelines of the boys' games, but not at the girls' games. So there's no one there evaluating the girls. It could also be that symptoms are just different in boys and girls, right? So again, because studies have tended to focus on boys and men, um, we know what those symptoms might look like. But because we haven't really examined women and girls as much, the, their symptoms of concussion might be different, right? And we might not pick up on it as much, or we might kind of just um, write them off as, oh, you're just depressed, or you're just anxious, or, you know, some sort of like, right, like mental health issue that's that's cropping up. It's not a concussion. So all of those factors might influence how and when a girl, you know, gets access to care. And so we know, like, it, getting access to care really matters. And there's, you know, other research that has shown at the collegiate level, um, again, these, these disparities, right? So if on the whole, um, what was interesting, you know, looking at NCAA data, you know, there wasn't really any disparities between, um, boys and girl athletes. But if you segmented the data, if you looked at it in terms of contact sports, then girls, the outcomes that girls experience were worse than boys. Mm. Interestingly, if you looked at limited contact sports, so something like gymnastics, um, some of those male athletes also had longer recovery times and there was disparities among um, in their outcomes. And again, it could be because of athletic department priorities. So if you're looking at like full contact sports, like football, we all know, right? Like college football is a big moneymaker and a huge priority in colleges. So they're going to have all the staff, all this treatment. They're going to be paying attention to their athletes on that field versus, again, they might not have the same amount of resources allocated to the girls like soccer team, right? And then similarly, if we're talking about boys gymnastics, you know, that's probably that's that's not as prioritized in a lot of schools. Um, so they also might not get the resources that they need. So again, it, it, it brings up this question of is, is it resources? Is it, you know, the medical care? Is it how we're recognizing symptoms? Um, so it's not necessarily just because I'm in a female body or because I'm in a male body. You would think that it would be required to have the same number of medical staff based on the percentage of like the number of athletes on the field or court or whatever. Like that should be the deciding factor. Yeah. When we're talking about medical care. You would, you would think. <laughs> I mean, that is wild to me. And then like, is it that they like for football example, there's 
so many more players on the field. And also, if you look at statistics, people get hurt more often, so they load it up. But either way, like you still should be required to have adequate numbers for these other sports. And gymnastics, people get hurt all the time. All the time, right? So that's it is interesting. So I, you know, I can't say for certain, right? Like that they for sure don't have the same number uh, or, you know, the same like the ratio. Yeah, yeah. ratio. But what I can say is that um, when when researchers have also looked at um, the injury rate, so looking at the number of athletes, the number of athlete injuries based on um, potential exposure. So that could be, you know, training days or game days, right? When they looked at that for football and compared it to, I think it was girls soccer, the injury rate was actually pretty similar. Mm. So, you know, even though, right, like, it seems like there are a lot more concuss- potential concussions in something like football because their rosters are so much bigger, right? There's more athletes, more potential injury. When you actually broke it down by injury rate and like the, you know, based on the expo- their potential exposure between football and, and girls soccer, it was roughly the same, right? So, um, yeah, it was it was an interesting way to think about it. One of the things that you talked about in the book was – kids who do single sports and start specializing young. Um, this is something we think about a lot at our house. Well, we don't think about it a lot, but like it's we, our kids play a lot of soccer, but they play basketball. They do tennis. They swim. Yeah. Um, but my oldest is like, I think he could be a pretty darn good soccer player. And so you start feeling he's 10. You start feeling this pressure. Should we move him up a program? Should we, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause you're like, well, if he could be good enough for college, we want to give them every opportunity we can. Um, I said that to my sister-in-law and she was like, I just want to give them every opportunity to be able to play in high school. What are you talking about? College. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Yep. <laughs> and probably that's more realistic thinking, honestly, um, for me. But anyway, study after study shows that kids do really well when they stay multi-sport for a longer period of time. And man, this culture and this industry is insane. It is insane what level of athletics people will put there. And this is not to be mean, but mediocre athletic children in just because they like want to keep up with the Joneses of the industry. Absolutely. Or even like six-year-olds, right? Traveling, you know, doing travel tournaments and whatnot. I'm like, just, they just let them play. And why are you doing that to your family? Yeah. So- it's 100% something that we think about a lot, too. So my boys are uh, 13 and 16. Um, they both play baseball primarily, but then also like play tennis and swim. Youngest, They used to play like flag football and all these things. But I was pretty adamant about them not doing, you know, travel sports, largely because my husband and I didn't want to pull apart our lives every weekend right <laughs> driving all these places and it's expensive right so expensive but 100% felt that pressure that i was doing a disservice to them yeah. because i wasn't putting them in these you know higher level programs and i wasn't you know giving them all this you know advantage or whatever it is and i was going to they were going to you know not be able to play and like not do this or that and it was going to be all my fault um, but yeah, but I kept thinking about the research and I kept thinking about what would make them happy too, right? Because I think that a lot of times that can get lost in the conversation is that 
you know, I love sports growing up, you know, and I see so much value in playing sports and I want my kids to have that. Um, but I don't want my desire for that to get in the way of their just enjoyment of playing, right? Because for me, that's that's first and foremost, like they have to want to play, they have to enjoy playing. I mean, when my older son was <laughs> was little, we kept signing him up for like soccer and all this stuff, like he was not having <laughs> any of it, like paid for all these things, like sitting on the sideline, like in our lap and just watching. I'm like, Oh, and it drove me crazy, right? Oh, because so I'm frustrating. I was like, just go and play. Like, what yes. is going on? Um, but he needed that time, right? Like, he didn't start playing baseball probably until he was like nine years old, which is old, right? Whereas his brother was playing T-ball when he was four. Um, but he needed, I think, for him that time to like get comfortable with the idea of playing and being out there and trying these things. And, you know, if we, you know, I wonder if we had pushed him, right, like, it probably would have backfired. Whereas now he's, he's happy playing baseball, he's playing baseball for his high school team, and like, he enjoys it. All right, let me tell you about Smart Eats Iron Lift, an excellent source of iron, highly absorbed and easily digested. 25 vitamins and minerals, 15 grams of protein. And here's the thing, women runners especially are prone to low iron. You've heard me talk about it on this podcast quite a bit. And you can use Iron Lift to restore your iron levels. Here's the thing, this is a powder and you drink it for boosting iron levels. It tastes great, it is a cookies and cream flavor and it is easily digested. It has a versatile use, you can put it in drinks, smoothies, cereal, yogurt, and more. It's designed to overcome the bad experience and side effects of other iron supplements. Made for women runners by providing bioavailable iron in an anti-inflammatory blend. It also provides protein, prebiotic fiber, and 25 essential vitamins and minerals. I know a lot of people have issues with iron supplements upsetting their stomach, and that is one of the reasons the founders of this awesome product created it. They made this to be delicious and digestible. So go to smarteatspantry.com and use the code RUNNER to save 25% off your order. That's smarteatspantry.com and the code RUNNER for 25% off your order. All right, back to the show. You know what I always think about with running though, because you know, I interview lots of runners and many of, most of them are multi-sport athletes or they're like, I didn't start specializing in running until college or, you know, I played soccer in college and then went to running. Yeah. But I think of it with, when people say that, I always think, yeah, but running, you don't have to have all these like technical skills, right? Like yeah. all these other sports, it's like, take gymnastics, for instance, like if you haven't developed a lot of these technical mm -hmm. skills at a younger age, it's like learning a language. Like that's yeah. why they say it's easier to learn language when you're younger. So running's a little bit different because yeah. you're just running. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's a hundred percent, you know, an important point because there are some sports where, you know, early, early specialization in terms of like the technique really does matter. So like, like you said, gymnastics or tennis, even, um, figure skating, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, but and it's not to say that, um, I guess it's not to say that you should, you shouldn't, uh, fully specialize early, right? Or you shouldn't be doing these types of sports early, but it's 
um, more paying attention to what is appropriate for that age, right? In terms of workload, in terms of the competition, in terms of the pressure that you're putting on the kids, right? And, and then also supplementing with other things. Um, so as the kids get older, right, it's important to start thinking about like strength training or just, you know, teaching them how to, how to move their bodies and make it more resilient. Um, so that when they do go through puberty and they have that crazy growth spurt and they're like little baby giraffes who can't walk, right. They, (laughs) they have some more ability to, um, control their bodies and kind of, you know, not hurt, potentially hurt themselves during that, that time. Right, because we want to train our bodies to be able to do the motions required for basketball, for yeah. so- like for all of the sports, not just like that same movement over and over again, developing only like if you're a baseball player, like only those motions. Yeah, yeah that's hard. And I, I do think it's like usually parents are just wanting to do what is best for their kids. And if they see a glimmer of like my kid could be a star, mm-hmm. they want to provide them with every opportunity possible to maybe – play in college or whatever and because our society has set it up that you have to be playing these club sports to even be like looked at yep it's made it almost impossible if you want to live a normal life it has absolutely and even you know I want to say too, like almost at the high school level too so when my older son um started in high school he was lucky in that his school has a JV and a varsity team, right? Not a lot of, especially in New York City, not a lot of schools have JV baseball teams Mm -hmm. um, because of space, because of resources and whatnot. Um, And some of his old team members who who just played rec league like he did and who didn't do travel ball, um, they weren't making teams because all of these kids have been playing travel ball since they were eight years old, right? And so it makes it, it makes it so that we're kind of keep we're keeping so many kids out of sport too right or giving them this opportunity to they don't have to be the best necessarily right but but giving them this opportunity to play and to be part of a team I think just has so many benefits right and like it almost feels like it's impossible for you to walk on a high school team at this you know in this day and age right whereas like I mean, I walked on like all of my high school teams. You yeah. know, I never, you know, I never swam competitively before high school. I never, you know, never played, you know, a couple other sports or whatever. But like, I had that chance to do that. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that away. Well, and it prioritizes people that have the money to do yes, it. Yes, which is the saddest part. And unless you are like some prodigy or kid that's just like has that natural talent. Um, if you're just playing city league until you're 16 and you haven't had the opportunity to develop the skills that the more average kid has developed, I mean, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of, I hate using the word fair, but there's a lot of unfairness to it. There are, I mean, it absolutely is unfair. It creates this, you know, it's like a two tier system, right? Where it's, it becomes like only the most committed or, you know, the, the people who can afford to do all these programs get access, um, but then I worry a lot of times, right? Like with so much focus on sports and training at such a level at such a young age, you know, it's no wonder kids burn out, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I don't know, like, are we set, is that really the best way to sustain longer term athlete development or to say, sustain interest in athletics and sports for the long term, right? Right. Because you want to be, you want to still love it when you're 40. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Um, so with back to like the, the female side of things, what was it? We were talking about our boys and our sports. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't boy specific though. No, no, no. But I can't help but like think about what I'm walking through in my own life as we discuss the conversation. Um, but like when looking at the research with females in sports, like what was the most eye-opening thing you found in the research for this book? So one of the things I think really kind of made my jaw drop is really just, you know, the numbers in terms of um, representation of women in sports science research. Mm. So in studies between 2014 and 2020, only 6% of sports science studies focused on women. And women only made up 34% of study participants, right? Which is bananas because that's 2020. That's that's insane. That's like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, right. Right? So then the other, that's bad in and of itself. But then the shocking part was, so then the 94% of studies that looked at men, only 0.6%, so less than 1% of those studies investigated something that was unique to men. So that means that ninety-nine, the other 99.4% of those studies could have included women, but they didn't. Right. Why? And so, you know, my hypothesis is, is that it's because of the systems that have been set up for sports science research. Like the, the, this is the standard protocol. This is a standard methodology. We use men. It's too complicated to involve women because of our menstrual cycles, cycles. and hormones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, and I feel like that becomes almost like a blanket excuse in a lot of ways, even for studies where like menstrual cycle and hormones don't even matter to mm-hmm. what they're investigating, you know? Um, but it's but it's too complicated. It's just easier to do deal with men because the data is cleaner. So it becomes just the the way that you do things. And it's been that way for so long that we don't even really question it in a way. Um and yeah, it's it's shocking to me. It is shocking. That is mind blowing. I mean you would think because of those things you would be studying women yes. more. Yes. I mean, I don't even know if you could answer this, but like how much of this has to do with money as far as like men's sports make a lot more money than women's sports? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any hard data, but my hunch is, is that it a big part of it has to do with that, right? Yeah. Because um, when you are looking at something like sports science, a lot of the funding does come from, you know, like a Gatorade or FIFA or NFL mm-hmm. um, and that those are men's sports, right? Like those are the sports that are bringing in the money. Those are the sports that they're prioritizing. So that's what they want to study. And then an- another piece of it too is just the way that scientific research works is that you're looking to build an evidence base, right? So you're starting with one question and then you validate it and then you're building on this question, right? Um, and so if someone comes and says they want to do this, you know, something that maybe has been done before, but they want to study women, the reaction might be, well, we, we've already studied that. We already know that. So I'm not going to give you money for that. Why would we, why would we do that again? Right. But they did Um, it with men. But they did it with men, but not thinking again, right. That, well, because the thing is, is like, if you do, if you do the study, replicate the study again with women, you could get the same results. You could get completely different results. You could get something in between. But the fact is, is like, we don't know because we've never asked the question, right? We've never done these studies before. So it's not to say that everything that has to do with women in 
exercise and fitness and sports and sports performance is going to be completely different than men, right? It's not like we are, you know, men are going to do things this way, women are going to do things this way. There is going to be a lot of overlap between, you know, those two circles, if you will, right? Um, but but right now we don't know what that nature of that overlap is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I, as you're talking about it, I'm just thinking about, and, and there's a chapter in the book about nutrition. I remember way back in the day, I've been running marathons since 2009. And when my husband and I were getting into it, like he would do a lot of his runs fasted. Like he would just like wake up in the morning and go run. And I did it a couple times, but I was like, I didn't, I don't feel good. Like I have to eat something. I get nauseous if I don't eat something. And obviously like the research has come out that like men's bodies can handle that in a different way than women's bodies do because we have different ways that we process food and like our, our, our fat stores. And, um, so I, at the time I just started saying, I'm not doing that. Like I need to eat something. But then years later in Stacey Sims book, I was like, oh, well that's, that was literally just my body being like, you can't run fasted (laughs) like your husband can. Yeah, because women's bodies are so much more sensitive to these downturns in nutrition, right? When you don't have enough energy, because, you know, at its core, our bodies, right? Like we do reproduce, right? We do carry babies. And so, you know, in almost like a primal way, if you will, right? Right. Like when the body knows that that's happening, it's like, uh uh-uh, like we need to be able to support you know, a potential pregnancy or, you know, to carry on this light or whatever it is. Right. But like, but that's how our bodies is, our body is wired in a lot of ways. So it is very sensitive to when, you know, we don't eat enough. Um, it's particular, what was interesting to me too, is like women are more sensitive to downturns in carbohydrate too. Mm-hmm. So if we, when we don't eat enough carbs, yes. that affects us more than, than it might for men. That's why something like, you know, a paleo or a keto diet, um, you know, again, it might work for some people because again, we're all individuals and, you know, our response to different things is, is going to be very individual, but very general, <laughs> broad generalization that, you know, those types of diets tend to work better for men because they can, they can survive on, you know, a lower level of carbohydrates than women when we, we just need more. That's wild. Yeah. I know anytime I have a friend telling me they're doing some weird low carb diet, I'm like, Give me a call when you're done with that because um, (laughs) I have some things to tell you. (laughs) I don't see it as much in the running community. It's usually my friends that aren't Mm -hmm. runners that are doing the intermittent fasting, that are doing the, uh, what is that, Whole30, which I I don't even know much about Whole30. I know I'm a vegetarian though, and it's probably really difficult to do as a vegetarian. Yep. Um, But yeah, I just can't imagine being a nice person eating so low carbs. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've done, you know, I've definitely experimented with it too and tried. I'm not a nice person at all because I'm like hungry all, all the time. time. Which you all wouldn't the time. think so because they tell you protein fills you up more, but like yeah. I need the carbs. Even yes. if I'm only running 25 miles a week, like my body is like, where are they? Absolutely. And I think, it, you know, it's interesting to your point that not so much in the running community. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's one place where I don't know, optimistically, I see some progress, right? Like, I feel like a lot of the messaging around, uh, you know, reds and, you know, the importance of fueling your body um, has come out a lot more. Um, 
yeah, so I'm hoping that it starts to spread in other areas too. The last piece I was going to bring up about the book is um, like the ligaments and mm. joints and how that kind of like <laughs> fluctuates with our cycle, which is mm-hmm. another thing. Cause I think about that with sports and I'm like, okay, say you're a 16 year old soccer player and like, you're not going to like not play soccer and the moments that like, Oh, at this part in my cycle, is it when you're ovulating that you're more like, yeah, that it, because of the um, spike in estrogen, uh-huh. you know, it tends to make the ligaments a little bit more uh, flexible and pliable. Um, but to your point, right? Like you can't really do anything about that right. because it's part of your again it's part of your physiology so that's that's one of the pieces of, of information where i feel like that's interesting but i feel like it's it can also make girls and women feel badly mm-hmm. about their bodies mm-hmm. like you can't do something and you know that's definitely not you know something that yeah. i think you know we would want to say right um but what's interesting about you know especially around acl terrors and all of that, there's, I think, more thinking around the fact that, sure, you know, your your ligaments might be more, uh, you know, susceptible to, to tears or, or, you know, injury during certain parts of your cycle. But there's a lot of other stuff going on, you know, both in your body and in your life that can influence what happens, right? Mm-hmm. So it can be things like, have you strength trained? Mm-hmm. Are you strength training? Mm-hmm. Um, when you were younger, were you taught how to like use your body, right? Like in terms of landing or just, you know, kind of bracing yourself and all of that. It could be, again, things like resources and, you know, training time and um, access to, you know, trainers and, and you know, other professionals in, in sports science professionals that can help you with that. Um, but yeah, but so sure, 100% you know, there is evidence around, you know, ligament flexibility and pliability around certain parts of the menstrual cycle, but that's not the only thing that's going on. I love that you bring that up too. Cause it's like, as far as like that could make you feel bad or like almost like fa- sorry for yourself. Like, Oh, I yeah. have to deal with this cause I'm a girl. Like, it's good to acknowledge that. But then what are the other factors of control here? Like, am I doing what I need to do nutritionally to to repair things as I'm walking uh, going through my monthly cycle that's another slippery slope though especially with females with like obsessing over nutrition 100 percent that age where girls are so susceptible to eating disorders I mean I tried I talk to about it with my boys all the time I'm like that is your fuel that that food is what is going to make you like move through the world in a way that feels good yep it's also to be enjoyed, but gosh, there's like so many yep. words that can trigger and things and ah, it's messy. Any, anytime my kids kind of sense that I'm about to do a nutrition talk, they're like, mom, <laughs> we don't need the nutrition and bone talk again. And like, you know, the whatever. I'm like, fine, but just eat. I just want you to feel good. <laughs> but then there's the phase where like my six-year-old eats like nothing yeah. but peanut butter and jelly. And I'm like, I don't care what happens but calories need to be in your body before you lose your mind yep absolutely it's a tough one um okay so what was your favorite thing about writing the book um being done with the book (laughs) (laughs) it's been a long time it's been a really long time um yeah I started writing the book in September 2020 and then the manuscript we actually finished 
um, my editor and I finished our edits uh, in May of last year, so May 2022. And so it's great. Publishing is so slow. So, so slow. Essentially, for this for this last year, it's been like copy edits, cover design, you know, in production, like all this other like getting the marketing stuff in order or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the best the thing that I appreciated most about this is I never thought I would write a book. Um, it's never been something that's been on my bucket list, but being able to immerse myself so much in this topic. And obviously, you know, it's, it's an area of that I care deeply about. Um, and to be able to really thread different topics together in a way that I hope is helpful to people and to be able to put out a book that again, like I hope, you know, bring some new perspective to this topic and, you know, hopefully, you know, gets, get some good information out, especially like to girls and parents. Yeah. I'm wondering like, what's the marketing situation with like getting this book in the hands of coaches as well? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it is word of mouth, right? So, hi, if you know a coach. (laughs) Pass it along. Pass it along. Um, But yeah, but I'm trying, you know, I am hoping to, you know, be able to go and talk to different schools as well. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Which would be great. How do you feel about talking in front of like high school kids? (laughs) I'm a little nervous about that situation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, the cover is beautiful. I need to hear about like who designed that and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, so the book is coming, the, my publisher is Riverhead Books and they put together just phenomenal covers. Like I couldn't be happier. Um, to be honest, I didn't have a ton of input. They kind of talked and they presented me with, you know, this, this concept. I will say I was terrified that they were going to give me a cover that was essentially like a stock image of like a woman running or like lifting weights. And, you know, I was like, that's, I really don't want that. (laughs) Did you tell them no bodies or did you just wait and see what they gave I just, I waited to see what they gave me. Um, Because I think that, again, nothing wrong with those, but I think that it's a different type of book. It's a much more prescriptive book of, Uh in terms of like, this is how you work out. This is what your nutrition should be. And that's not what this book is. Right. Um, so yeah, so they presented this to me and, you know, I, I loved it just because I wanted, I knew I wanted something bold color wise. Yeah. Um, I really like that it is abstract, but you can still see kind of the image of a woman in the, you know, blurred in the background. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, we just tweaked the colors a little bit, tweaked the font a little bit and it was good to go. There's so much more we could talk about with the book. I encourage everybody to go pick it up up to speed um we have to wrap up within a podcast i know it's already here that was so fast (laughs) so fast um is there anything else about the book though like a topic that i didn't bring up that you're like why didn't she ask me that um no i mean i think we covered a lot of ground i mean the only other thing really is that i try to do towards the end of the book too is i mean we talked a lot about the the youth athletes but also talking about like pregnancy and postpartum mm-hmm. and the menopause transition again because these are areas where i feel like there isn't a lot of guidance or research right now and a lot of people are looking for more information so you know again it, it's it's not necessarily a roadmap of what you should do but you know what i hope that it provides is at least some sense of you know, what we do know, what we don't know. Um, and based on that information, you know, what, 
you know, what some women can potentially do to make sure that they can keep doing all the amazing things that they're doing. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I'm sure there are podcasts out there, but I'm like, you could have like an entire podcast book, everything just on perimenopause alone, just on menopause 100%. Yeah, I know. My podcast for parents called Why Is Everyone Yelling? I'm like, <laughs> which I know it's like, yes, there's a reason it's called that. But like, as my kids get older and as I get older um, and I just don't want to read any more parenting books and stuff, I'm like, <laughs> I really want to transition that just to a lifestyle podcast yeah. for like women in their 40s or whatever it is, like 30s, 40s, as I'm walking through these things so that I can just talk about Absolutely. that life stuff instead of just parent stuff because you could do a whole series. Yeah. I will. Perimenopause. Yeah. But like even having a place for conversations like that, I feel like is so important um, because we don't talk about like this part of life and older, right? Like we, there isn't enough outlets, I think, for the conversations around what we are going through. Well, you get there and you're like, oh shit, like I, <laughs> I'm finished with this part of my life and the perimenopause is like, is it starting to happen? I'm not sure, but either way, it's going to happen in the next yeah. five years probably. So like you've just kind of like, I don't know about you or other people listening, but it's kind of something that was like, I thought of like so far away. So far. Yeah. And you know, some of those things, I don't want to think about it too much before <laughs> it's starting to happen. But now I'm like, where's the information? Yeah. There is Who's none. talking about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right. Well, what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet um so funny I want to write a work of fiction so I'm oh, nice. want to write I'm kind of in the middle of writing a novel but mostly for me and I started this because my brain felt really broken after I finished writing this book oh, nice. so I wanted to try something I've never really written fiction before but I wanted to try something new and you know that would challenge me and it was so much fun um I just need to find the time to turn back to it so you're in the middle of it I'm in the middle of it I'm about two-thirds of the wow, way wow that's exciting yeah it's crap. It's terrible. I hope like no, no one is ever going to see this, but like it's again, it's, it's, it feels like more of a project for myself, right? Something that I need to do for myself. But don't be so sure because I mean, Colleen Hoover books are hugely popular and they're <laughs> <That's> crap. <true. laughs> I mean, I like them, but they're crap. I mean, she, I, her Instagram says something like, I don't get it either. And I'm <laughs> like, I can only assume it's because like, I don't know. They're just like so fluffy, but like yeah. everybody reads them. Yeah. And so when I say they're crap, but they're great, I mean it in the most endearing way. 100%. <laughs> so you never know. Never know. Um, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? This is also probably not that original, but Taylor Swift, because just... A, I'm really sad. I'm not going to yeah. any of her concerts. So I'm if anyone either. has any extra tickets that they want, you know, or willing to part with in New York, let me know. Um, but just, I mean, everything she's gone through, right, and put up with and just, I mean, she's just such a bad, like strong person, right, and has just done amazing things. And I'd like a little bit of her sparkle and oh my genius. What is the best, most recent book you've read? I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay. So funny, it's set in a boarding school. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. 
which is part of why I wanted to read it. Um, but it's about this woman who is, you know, a film professor and a podcaster. Um, and she's, she's been asked to go back to her boarding school to teach this like two week seminar on like podcasting and film. Um, but during her senior year at school, her former roommate was killed. Right. And so they thought, you know, they got the guy and whatever. And so, but when she goes back to campus, kind of the, the case reopens a bit. Um, and, you know, she has to confront a lot of questions. Um, you know, do they have the right, the guy, whatnot? What did she know while she was there? And so it's, it's great. It's not like a super scary thriller or mystery. It's like more of like a mystery. Uh-huh. Um, but it was just the way that she wrote it was really great and interesting because she, she addresses a character in the book, like you, you know, in second person, which I thought was really interesting. But just the whole scene that she creates and world that she creates is super fascinating. Wow. Okay. What's your last message to leave with our audience? It is to be kind. Because I feel like, you know, there's so much divisiveness, right? And just, I don't know, remembering that we're all human beings and we're all trying our best. Um, and just to, you know, give folks a little grace and kindness sometimes can go a really long way. Um, I was going to have something more profound to say, but that's what, you know, has stuck with me definitely today. I mean, I think if every time we think a mean thought or want to say something mean on the internet, if we just think that is actually a human being. Yeah that I'm thinking about right now. And would be revolutionary. Would be revolutionary. <laughs> I don't really know what their total background is or history or what they're going through tomorrow. And, you know, we just like take the human out of these yeah. conversations and it it's like awful. It's terrible, right? And it's it's not the world I want my kids to grow up in. It's not how I want them to be treating people. Um, yeah. It almost makes you just think like, you're never getting on the internet. Because that's where, you know, because if you go to and out into real life and most of the time people are not treating each other that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's the internet. All right, Christine, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Christine, for coming on the podcast. I loved getting to know you. I loved reading your book. It was so good. Go check it out, friends. You can follow Christine on Instagram. She is CYU888. You can also find her website, ChristineMUYU.com. And go pre-order her book. We know that these pre-orders are helpful for authors. It's called Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. I am so grateful you are here. You can find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626 at lindsayhine on Twitter. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode that's dropped every single week. Thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week on All Have Another.